to the Batmobile. Let's go. Atomic batteries to power. Turbines to speed. Roger. Ready to move out. Hi, everyone. I'm Carla. And I'm Iman. And you're listening to Screensaver, a podcast about all things pop culture, including TV, movies, books, and sports. In today's episode, we'll be discussing our trip to this year's San Diego Comic-Con. We'll go into our experience attending for the last several years, discuss some of the panels we saw in Hall H, the cosplayers that were there, and we'll end things by trying to debunk some Comic-Con myths. All that after the break. Comic-Con last weekend. Yeah. For anyone that doesn't know, Comic-Con is a pop culture and entertainment convention that takes place in San Diego every summer. I'm not going to go more in detail. I think everyone at this point knows what Comic-Con is or at least has a general idea about it. But for today's podcast, we want to really dive into the actual experience of going to the convention, which a lot less people know the specifics about. Right, and I think we have a unique perspective because we've gone, well, me not so much, but you've gone 10 consecutive years. Yeah, that's crazy. So anyway, with that, we have some insights. So I thought we would sort of break down this conversation by talking about some of the biggest aspects of the Comic-Con experience. One of those, of course, is Hall H. This is the venue everyone's trying to get into. It's Camping where all out, the yeah. yeah, it's where all the A-listers go. It's where all the big major announcements are made. So Hall H is big. Apart from that, of course, there's the cosplayers, the people who dress up in costumes, and mm-hmm. <laughs> those are always fun. And then there's, of course, the the greater landscape of Comic Con itself, the convention floor. And um, the greater San Diego area. And then we can just sort of end things by debunking some classic Comic-Con myths. So, So, yeah, let's just dive right in and start with Hall H. Yeah, as you mentioned, Hall H is the biggest venue there. And just to kind of top this off, Hall H, this, as many of you might have heard, is something that people are lining up for and staying out overnight. And it is because there are these huge movies that are getting really hyped. So I know you were taking notes while we were in there. What was the first thing that we saw? Well, we went in on Saturday morning and we managed to get in just before the WB panel, which was one of the big ones. First of the day, right? Right. That was the first one of the day. It was moderated by Aisha Tyler, which was a nice surprise. She is a comedian and the host of Whose Line Is It Anyway? (laughs) Everything is made up and the points don't matter. (laughs) Right. So anyway, they were promoting a few movies and I thought we could just sort of go through the list and talk about our impressions, what surprised us, what worked, what didn't work. So the first movie we saw or heard about was Man from Uncle. It's starring Henry Cavill and Army Hammer. I actually really liked this trailer. It seemed like a pretty cool throwback spy movie. Not that I've seen many, but... It was Henry Cavill playing uh, an American, right? He that had an, was a little weird. He had an American accent that was a little weird, and Army Hammer playing some Russian. I mean, there were, of course, there are things that I could take issue with, but it just seemed like a fun spy movie with all the conventional tropes. And uh, I mean, I was down for it. What did you think? I, I don't know. I I felt like it was really. It's the trailer seemed really boring, and I felt like I didn't have any idea what the movie was about after I saw it. Maybe I wasn't paying enough attention. 
Or maybe I was just distracted by Henry Cavill's looks. <laughs> but do you think that they started the panel with that because they knew it was the weakest? Maybe. I feel like it's also it's coming out choice. really soon. So yeah. maybe they just wanted to promote it just before it was coming out. So the verdict is still out on that one. But, I mean, it was interesting. So we'll, was, we'll see. That was Man from Uncle. Started with a, a weak one. What was next? After that was Pan. Oh, God. <laughs> which, <laughs> which, if the first one was kind of meh, the second one was a little... I mean, it seems like a, a kid movie, but the, Hugh Jackman came out, and so did Garrett Hedlund, so yeah, we got to Tron. see them. Uh, just a little background, this movie is a reimagined version of the classic Peter Pan story. I think this is one panel, actually, where being there and hearing the movie makers talk did benefit the movie. When we watched the trailer, it just looked like Hugh Jackman in some weird costume with do weird you, makeup. Do you know what he looked like to me? He looked like a mix of... Okay, first, he's playing, because he's, he's playing, playing Hook. Hook. Yeah. He looked like Christopher Walken's Hook a little bit. <laughs> Mixed with... Stanley Tucci from The Hunger Games. Oh, God, you're right. Yeah, I'm laughing because that's a very correct description. Yeah, this is a strange movie. But I, uh, like I was saying before, hearing the director actually talk about it and hearing the making of did make me a little more excited about it. They were talking about how they had built a lot of the set. So it was, I mean, nowadays everything is just built in CGI. Here they were saying that they had huge warehouses with actual boats and different islands. And they kept talking about big mushrooms. Big mushrooms, yeah. Um, <laughs> so that that did kind of change how I saw the the trailer. But yeah, this movie just seems like just another... Re they, they are making way too many live-action remakes of children's stories, be it Cinderella... Or you said Aladdin's coming out soon. Yeah, just I don't know. So Pan, another, another It just week seems one. unnecessary. But I mean we did say Hugh Jackman. Cool. Yeah, yeah, and Hugh Jackman was really into it. He seemed so. like a darling, yep. So that was fun. And then things took a dramatic shift in tone. And in the audience. Carla was sitting up front and I was sitting a little further back. Mind you, this is an audience that holds maybe 6,000 people and the second people caught wind of this next movie, the crowd went wild. What movie was this? Yeah, we're, we're talking about Suicide Squad. Yes. Which apparently was hugely anticipated and I had no idea it was coming out. Yeah, I think half the people that listen to this podcast are going to hate us for being such ignoramuses about all things comic bookish. But for anyone else that doesn't know what this is, this is a DC storyline that takes a lot of classic villains and puts them together into kind of like a ragtag team. I don't know if I can compare them to the Avengers, kind of. I, I don't know. But what they're, they're led by the Joker and Harley Quinn. Okay. Yeah. So anyway, uh, the entire cast pretty much came out at the end of the trailer when they showed the trailer to us. And... Among those was someone you and I were both really excited to see. We saw Will Smith. That was really exciting. Yeah, I mean, aside from the fact that this was the first comic book related thing that we saw at Comic Con, the crowd was going crazy. But yeah, Will Smith, that was something that I was really not expecting. I yeah, had a, I had we, a lot of feels. We're, we're big fans. We basically grew up on his albums so it, it was fun it was fun to see him in person and how, how do you feel about the actual movie he seemed like he was definitely hyping it but that's that's comic-con they are uh, dc i have to mention was master of hype they basically did this montage where they showed a lot of artwork of all the movies that are going to yes. come out and it's it's something like eight of them and mm -hmm. i remember thinking this is really well made because I'm getting excited about watching this when I know nothing about it. So, yeah. and I think it's also just the atmosphere in the room. Everyone was just it's cheering a, it's and electric, standing up, yeah. and it was fun. And right after the Suicide Squad 
section or portion of mm-hmm. the, the panel, things shifted over to Batman versus Superman. Yeah, as if people weren't going crazy <laughs> enough. So the dire- director, Zack Snyder, came out. Uh, Henry Cavill returned. Gal Gadot, Amy Adams, Jesse Eisenberg, who we'll touch on later. <laughs> um, Jeremy Irons. I was very excited to hear Scar from Lion King. And lastly, Ben Affleck showed up. So yeah. it was a star-packed panel. So we both saw We saw the first Superman. one and hated it. Or Man so, of Steel, right? Yeah, we saw Man of Steel and it was terrible. So, being in Comic-Con for this panel about the uh, following one, having such low expectations, I have to say, they they showed us the trailer, which was a new trailer, which Comic-Con does this a lot. They show brand new material there. And watching it, I did, I, my interest was piqued. I thought it was an interesting, well-put-together um, trailer. I mean, what did you think about it? Yeah, I felt like... Ben Affleck's interpretation of Batman was interesting. He's he's going to be playing an older Batman. Mm-hmm. And I think the the way they're setting it up is that his daughter or his family died in the in the wreckage oh, of maybe what happened in Man of Steel and he is he is trying to avenge his family's death. Crazy. Including all the baggage of his parents being killed. Yeah. I think... I, yeah. I, that was the way they said it. Yeah, up. I guess I tuned out. But I think something that was interesting besides the trailer was the actual interview with the actors. Uh, in Comic-Con, you get a lot of little anecdotes and just fun conversations. Ben Affleck at one point mentioned that he ran into Christian Bale at a costume store while they were both trying to buy Batman costumes for their kids. And Yeah, it was, it was pretty funny. I was surprised by how affable Ben Affleck seemed up on stage. Poor guy. He's having a a tough time right now, but that's for our other um, gossip podcast. (laughs) And in comparison, I must say, Jesse Eisenberg spent the entire time just staring and looking so scared up there. We heard afterwards that he hated the Comic-Con experience. I'm not surprised because he didn't say two words up there. I think he meant they made a joke about his hair. He has long curly hair in the in the trailer. He's playing uh, Lex Luthor. Lex Luthor. But yeah, he just seemed not into it. Some people can't handle the con. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, that was that basically wrapped up the WB panel on a on a really really strong note. Yeah, it was good overall. I felt like a lot of the trailers and the panelists accomplished what they what they set out to do, which yeah. is to, to great, show people great Q and A's, good fan interaction. Yeah. But yeah, that that basically wrapped up wrapped up the WB panel. And after it was that fun. was the. Sony and Screen Gems panel. It was yeah. a pair of zombie movies that uh, I didn't even know were being made. I hadn't heard anything about these. So, as we've mentioned before, um, we mentioned that Aisha, Aisha Tyler was moderating the last panel. I think this panel, more than any, really showed that the person who's interviewing the people on stage, the moderator, is really important. Uh, for the second panel, Dalton Ross moderated it. He's from Entertainment Weekly. He did a terrible, terrible, terrible job. <laughs> if Dalton Ross is listening, Dalton Ross, I'm sorry. You need to up your game. Need to up your game. Yeah. <laughs> well, what was bad about it? He was uninformed. He made mistakes about character relationships in movies, and actors had to correct him. His questions were silly. Okay, this is, again, turning into the cynical sisters. No, no, but, but I feel like good moderators, because you have you usually have a row of actors, and of the like six actors that are sitting up there, maybe one or two are super famous or popular, and mm-hmm. all the fans are directing their questions to that one person. A good moderator sort of spreads out the questions to all the all the actors up on stage. And helps build hype. And they bring up... The energy. Yeah, the energy, for sure. So, so Aisha was... Tyler did that. Mm-hmm. She was really... In... Apparently, she's a big comic book nerd, which I and didn't she, know. And if she was lying, it didn't matter. <laughs> she did a great job. I think... Yeah, this was definitely a failing in the second panel. So, he was 
he was out there to talk about two movies. The first one was Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, a book a, that a Iman great, read a long a time book. ago. And um, that's starring Matt Smith. And what uh, did you think about that one? I was really disappointed. I don't know if I'm blaming Dalton Ross, my new arch nemesis, or if it was just that the movie isn't developed enough yet or anything, but basically this, as the title suggests, is an interpretation of Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice with the addition of zombies, because that, I don't know, is what people do nowadays. They add zombies to everything. One thing that I thought was interesting about this panel was the author of the book was present. That was really cool. I did like that he was there, but he didn't really... he. The moderator didn't take advantage of the guests that he had there and wasn't asking insightful questions. So I, it was a very, very low energy panel, and I think a lot of people just filtered out. They left after the DC panel. I know around where I was sitting, this was when people were taking bathroom breaks and getting food. So Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, I'd say, kind of has potential. The actress that played Cinderella in the recent Disney Cinderella, Lily... Evans? Evans, no. is it? Lily James. Lily James. It's so confusing because it mixes so many Harry Potter character <laughs> names. Anyway, Lily James. Um, yeah, she was kind of ditzy. I, I don't want to be mean to these actors, but I know it's hard to be natural up there. But Well, the biggest name actor up there was Matt Smith. He plays... Mr. The Collins. Doctor yeah. in, oh, in Doctor Who, and uh, <laughs> yes. in in this movie, he plays Mr. Collins. I thought for sure he would be Mr. Darcy, but I thought it was kind of cool that he was playing a uh, more second-tier character. Yeah, I'm excited to see him in this, but he's also in the following movie that they talked about. I thought it was weird that they had such a tertiary character on for their first panel, but turns out Matt Smith is going to be the lead in a new zombie movie called Patient Zero. This is starring Natalie Dormer, Marjorie from Game of Thrones, um, John Bradley, who is Sam from Game of Thrones, and like I said, Matt Smith. It's also featuring Stanley Tucci, who was unfortunately not there, but... It would have been really cool to see him, but Stanley Tucci plays a zombie. Yeah, and, and infected, as they kept right. correcting the moderator. Not, not zombies, um, but... Why don't you describe a bit of the plot? Because this it seems like it's your typical zombie movie, but yeah. with, a, with a plot twist. Yeah, so basically what this movie is about is a, I guess, a legion of infecteds instead of in zombies. Um, that It's an infection that doesn't turn them into brain-dead, uh, undead people. It seems to heighten certain elements about their personalities so they're super fast they're super intelligent and uh what they're the, not your average not zombies. your average zombies and it seemed like what the movie was doing was kind of asking these really like pseudo existential philosophical questions about uh is this actually a disease or is this infection a cure to humanity's ails so is this just the next step yeah, of our evolution? Our, exactly. So a lot of the, from what we could gather from the trailer, a lot of the interactions between Matt Smith and Stanley Tucci seem to be playing with these questions. But Matt Smith and Natalie Dormer are, are playing scientists. Are the scientists yeah. who are trying to find the cure, so to speak? Yeah, and uh, I mean, it seemed like a movie that I might might be interested in watching, but it just kind of felt like they were blending elements from uh, Brad Pitt's World War Z with a bunch of random horror movies and blended together. I mean, I think these two movies in particular, it seemed really obvious that they're just sort of building off the the zombie popularity mm -hmm. that has grown in the last few years. Like so. The Walking Dead and such. So, yeah, this was a definitely a duller panel for us but we wanted to stick around because the next panel was featuring quentin tarantino for his new uh western movie called the hateful eight right this one was one i i mean we always get we always we, we <laughs> we've been to one tarantino panel in the past and Talk about having an amazing energy. guest and, and an amazing energy. 
Quentin Tarantino is perfect for Comic Con because he gets so excited about being there, and I'm about, yeah, and he just loves the stuff he creates and does a great job of promoting them. Yeah, it doesn't feel like he's selling things, whereas in the last panel, it kind of felt like okay, zombies. This one, if he seems so genuinely excited about the stuff that he's doing and promoting, and and just genuinely excited to be at Comic Con, unlike. And- People like Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah, and uh, that enthusiasm, I think it comes across in a manner that isn't condescending, which, I mean, we'll touch on this later, but I think that... It also helped that Chris Hardwick was the moderator for this, this panel, because Chris Hardwick himself is someone who I think really gets Comic Con. Yep. And does a great job of just being infectiously enthusiastic. Definitely. And he has this energy about things and just... Yeah, he's a, he's a genuine genuine nerd and like the, or a geek and he, he shows unbridled enthusiasm for a lot of these pop culture things. Tarantino showed kind of this history of the old roadshow film and he was kind of up on stage really... It almost felt really, like a lecture at the beginning. Yeah, it so. did. He was, he was explaining um, the history of like film and how things are switching to digital and he's he's very against that uh transition which you can agree or disagree with but it it was a very interesting panel i mean the movie itself seems very interesting it seems like this kind of claustrophobic western set in a snowy landscape where everyone's stuck in this this very diverse cast of characters is stuck in a single cabin it seemed all very interesting but i think that this panel was kind of showing what works at Comic-Con. Uh, it opened with Samuel L. Jackson kind of saying, like, hey, Comic-Con, just a little video of him. He, he wasn't there, but he he was narrating a video that explained the history of the roadshow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I didn't know much about. It was... It was very interesting, and I think that this is the sort of thing that works. Well, what's a roadshow? Maybe you should explain Oh, that. yeah, um... <laughs> It's, um, I guess back in the day, they would kind of take a movie. Back when people would still dress up to go to the movie theaters Mm -hmm. and it was an event, they treated the movie-going experience like going to see a a theatrical, a live theater performance. Mm -hmm. So they would have these things called road shows where people would go and then they'd make a big deal. There was a big premiere for the movie. People would go and they'd even have intermissions. And yeah. it was a huge... They'd treat the debut like like a huge deal. Yeah, it was a big event. And I think it w- it came across... It seemed very obvious that Tarantino is nostalgic for these days that, I mean, he's not that old. He didn't experience them himself, but just this kind of golden era of film. And I thought that was... And he was bringing it up because mm-hmm. on on Christmas Day, when this movie premieres, they are going to have some roadshow type premieres for the yeah, movie. Yeah, for which seems... Yeah, I mean, it's it's an exciting thing. I don't, I don't know if I would be going to this, but it's, Comic-Con is the place to talk about this sort of thing and to sell it to audiences because you get to hear him say say it firsthand like how exciting it is we've gone very very into detail about these three panels i'm shocked if anyone is still listening or has listened to this whole thing but we really wanted to just talk about these to give people an inside scoop of what are we actually going and what's cool about what we get to see there because Really, when you leave Comic-Con, there are so much press there that really they're just publishing headlines about like, okay, Tarantino said this, or they'll they'll pull out a little soundbite. And we just wanted to tell people, okay, this was A through C, our experience of these three panels. And we just stayed for, that was all in a matter of like an hour and a half, two hours. So. Yeah. We got we got a sense of what worked, what didn't work. Dalton Ross. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think that that's just our our not brief, our very long explanation of the actual panels that we saw. And if you guys want to hear more about these movies, there is a ton of journalism and reporting on these movies. Right. And you can probably see the trailers and everything. Real quick, of mm-hmm. all the movies, was there one that stood out to you in particular that you really want to go see that you didn't think you wanted to see before? Um, I think... 
I was more curious about Batman versus Superman. My honest answer to that is not really. Yeah. What about you? It, it was kind of a weak Saturday compared to other years that we've gone, but I don't know. I feel like of all of them, I know I'm going to watch Batman vs. Superman because we sat through the atrocity that was Man vs. Steel, <laughs> and I can't imagine anything being worse than that. So, yeah, I agree. Yeah. They have to redeem themselves somehow. <laughs> yeah, so... We right, gave so that, that, that was, was age. Yeah, that was that was our very long description uh, and winding description of Hall H. Thank you for listening, anyone that has listened to that whole thing. But now I'd I'd really like to shift our attentions to Comic Con more in the abstract. What's outside of the stuff that you're going to be seeing posted on Entertainment Weekly or Grantland and all the the press coverage of it, um, which we'll talk a little bit more about later, but uh, the first thing that we want to talk about in general is cosplaying. So, yeah, how would you describe cosplaying? Cosplaying is, I don't mean this in the pejorative sense, but it's kind of like a glorified Halloween. I feel like that's the best way to describe it to non-convention nerds. Basically, it's when you dress up in excruciating detail. As a character from your favorite TV show or your favorite movie, people dress up as anime characters. Even as, video game characters. Yes, yeah, video game characters, comic book characters. It's, I think it's the highest level of fan expression, in a sense, because you are dressing up, you are assuming the identity of somebody you love for a day. And I think that it can come across as so dorky, because it's like, oh, these people think that... No, these people don't think that they're these characters. It's really just a means, or at least I'm speaking personally because, as we'll talk on, we'll touch on later, Carla and I did both dress up this year. Yeah. But it's really a means of just wearing your fandom as a badge and saying, this is, what, this is a character I really like. Come talk to me about it. Yeah. Or take a picture of me. We've kind of talked about this in the past, but there are different levels of... Of costumes or dressing up at Comic-Con. First, there are the people who don't dress up at all. They just wear normal clothes. The plebs, yeah. (laughs) They're the most boring. After that, you have the people who wear, like, a a geeky t-shirt or something. This is a game that Carla and I, over the years, have um, played. It's called Count the Target Shirts. Um, (laughs) Yeah, Target now sells uh, graphic tees, a lot of geeky graphic tees, and you'll see them in excess at Comic-Con. You'll see a bunch. You'll see a lot of Star Wars shirts. So basically, this is like the the second or the first tier of what I would call, I guess, cosplay. And it doesn't even count as cosplaying, but of dressing up at Comic-Con or doing site-specific wardrobes, which is wearing geeky shirts. And then um, there are the people like us who actually did dress up and yeah, and there of are course, different levels of of intensity, but of accurateness. Um, but yeah, why don't you describe your costume? You made two of them this year. We went two days. We went Saturday and Sunday, and Iman dressed up both days. Yes, I think the best place to start is that this year I, I dress up most years, but this year I saw we saw the movie Mad Max as we have. Uh, described in the podcast and I left it feeling really excited about the fact that there was a strong female character so when comic-con rolled around I thought okay who has a cool costume that I want to build I have a background in props so I have a lot of fun putting these costumes together and really building out aspects of it and Imperator Furiosa who was played by Charlize Theron in Mad Max had a cool arm thought it'd be really fun to build. I wanted to be here for a day. And it was one of the first years you didn't have to gender bend because I feel like 90% of your costumes are of male characters. So it was really cool. You got to go as a female character. Yeah, I was really excited about that. So that was who I dressed up as on day one. Both of us wore, we made a Star-Lord costume from Guardians of the Galaxy. Carl and I wore it on different days, but... Yeah, I'd say my big costume of the year was Furiosa. And how long did it take you to make it? It took me about I'd say in total it was it could have been done in a few days, but because I was working, it took me at least 2 weeks to actually put this thing together 
maintaining maintaining my sanity and a normal schedule. <laughs> it was a lot of collecting old scraps of metal. Uh, we'll put pictures on our Facebook page or tweet them. Yeah, it was just a really fun experience to pour over images of a character that I really liked and try to emulate that sensibility. And I feel like one of the biggest compliments you do get at Comic-Con if you successfully create a costume mm -hmm. is people ask to take pictures of you. And yeah. I feel like you got a lot of that in the course of the two days. So Yeah, we both did. I mean, describe your, second, your costume on Sunday. It was amazing. Well, mine was a lot more low-key. We found a like khaki-colored jumpsuit a few months back, and it looked a lot like the Dharma jumpsuits from Lost. Mm -hmm. So I just slapped a Dharma logo on that thing, and it was pretty much all set. So It, it was great. It was great. It, we'll it was neat up. because it was like a callback to the first years we did go to Comic-Con. So what was neat about my costume was Lost has not been on the air for several years now, but a lot of people did recognize it, and you could easily find lost fans in the crowd and people would get really excited to talk about it. Yeah. So this is dressing up. It's an integral part of Comic-Con. And I think that it's something that a lot of people see and a lot of outside reporting sees and kind of sensationalizes like, look at these people. What? Like, look at these freaks. <laughs> what do you think is the reason people do this? Or, like, how, how did it change the experience of Comic-Con for you? I mean, I'll speak to this, but... This was the first year I dressed up. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people were a lot more inclined to just walk up to me and mm -hmm. talk about TV shows or movies than the years where I didn't dress up. So that was cool because... I was open to having conversations about it. I love talking about TV and movies, so I thought that part was actually really fun. And it's also fun to talk to people about the making of the costume itself and how much time went into it. And it's it's fun to talk about where people come from. A lot of them come from all over the country and even the world. So Yeah, I think this is something that a lot of people miss when they're talking about uh, dressing up. It seems... I'll admit, the first few years I went, it looked weird to me. But I think that dressing up is actually really central to Comic-Con because it's kind of like admitting... It's your admit one ticket to a different realm of the Comic-Con experience, which is actually getting to say, hey, I'm here and I'm all in. I'm participating. I'm a fan. Talk to me about yeah, stuff. Yeah, talk to me about it. It makes the experience so much more interactive. I was dressed up as a character from Mad Max. I had people yelling like, oh, like, what a lovely day to me. It invites conversation. It invites interaction with other fans. Yeah, when Iman saw a group of war boys, they all started going crazy. Yeah. From Mad Max. <laughs> yeah, from so. Mad Max. It, it, it just makes the experience feel like... You're game. there like a game, like you're there. Everyone there is like you're – it's a huge group of friends and it's just everyone feels so at ease with each other. And it's almost as if by putting on a costume, you're saying not so much I want to be someone else for the day, but this is me at my truest. Like this is me having fun and just kind of not thinking about what people think about me. This is me just saying – I really loved this character, I loved this movie, and I want to talk to people about it and connect over it. Yeah, and in the same way, when you compliment other people or show interest in their costumes, you can tell they get so excited and are so, they feel so good about themselves. So it's it's fun. Yeah, it's 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 a form of creative expression. And I think that, I mean, we'll get into this later when we talk about some Comic-Con myths, but... um. I think that that's just something that I, I, I definitely want to talk about on this podcast, just the experience, which is something that, again, from the outside looking in, really hard to understand, and I get that. Speaking of outside looking in, I think that there's one piece of Comic-Con that is really hard to understand if you're not actually there, and that's the landscape, The if we want to get planner about it, the built environment <laughs> of Comic-Con. Um, what would you say you're... Just very quickly, how is Comic-Con laid out? Well, I think when you're asking the question, how has it changed over the years, one of the mm. easiest answers to that is just pointing to the landscape. 
It's gone from being a convention at the San Diego Convention Center to a Comic-Con campus. Mm -hmm. Comic-Con takes over not just the convention center, which is the the huge halls and the, the ballrooms and the convention floor, but it also takes up all of the gas lamp quarter. Restaurants change their menus. Hotels. Hotels open up their, their rooms, basically. Yeah. And... Um, even the downtown library had a lot of comic book-centric things. It, there, there are a bunch of pop-up exhibition spaces. Yeah, and yeah, um, a Ninja Warrior-type Assassin's Creed thing set up. Yeah, all an of obstacle these, course. Right. All of these are branded experiences. And again, this kind of points to the fact that this is just a huge advertising opportunity for different networks. But it, it does... There's a lot of money coming in, which means that downtown transforms itself and really embraces the Comic-Con culture. Like Carla said, menus are changing. Everything is really catering to the fans, which makes it really fun. Yeah, and I feel like this is where San Diegans themselves feel like they can get involved. Even if you don't manage to get a ticket, you can still walk around the gas lamp quarter. Mm -hmm. I know a few of our friends did it this year. It's fun just to see the city transform itself for a weekend and get involved and engaged with with popular culture. Right. So we've discussed that it's a Comic-Con campus. It's taking over the broader reach. But to bring it more into like what we actually experience, it is the actual convention center. So this means that it's basically a huge... The, there's Hall H, which we discussed at, <laughs> at long length. And there's also the convention floor. Now, as we discussed before, this kind of booths, it feels like a huge fair. Like, picture a job fair in any television show, but instead of booths for each company, it's booths of artists. It's WB has like its own booth. It's ABC, Nickelodeon, Nickelodeon BBC a AMC. America, AMC has a, a bunch of zombies walking the floor. Marvel. It, yeah, something that I think you can probably see in pictures as well, but it's also very dense. You're walking at maybe two miles an hour because people are pushed up against you. Everyone is walking this floor. It's packed. It's not a casual stroll through a bunch of, oh, let me see what this artist is doing. Oh, and then I'll hit To up. get yeah. from one side to the other could easily take you two hours. Yep. It's it's huge. And it's... It's really dense. And it's overwhelming at parts. So getting into the specifics, yeah. what were booths that we saw this year that you really liked? Well, I thought it was interesting that a lot of the booths have embraced the selfie culture mm -hmm. and they've all sort of turned into an experience where you can walk through a set and take a picture and yep. leave get yeah. in take your picture this is and get out this is something that i think has changed because in past years you'd go for the swag you'd go and you'd get bags you'd get pins um all branded materials like can be advertising um, you'd get a ton of branded materials so that you could leave the convention center with a um, Dexter lanyard. And it, you're kind of taking the advertising with you outside of the convention center. Here, the way they kind of replaced all of those uh, material With little mini objects. experiences. Yeah, with mini experiences that you're documenting via Instagram, via Facebook. What was one that we went to that you liked? One in particular that I hadn't seen before and I thought was really clever was a game show booth. Yeah. It was, that was promoting really fun. classic movies. I think it was for 20th Century Fox. Right. They have a bunch of like silver edition like DVDs, DVDs. that yeah. are coming out in in like deluxe packages. So but yeah, but yeah. what they did was they set up this game show. A stage. A yeah. stage where you'd have three contestants and you'd have to answer questions about a particular movie franchise. Mm -hmm. So when we were there watching, one of them was about the X-Men. Yeah, there was X-Men, the there was Die yeah. Hard, there were basically any Fox movies. But that just seemed like a really fun interactive experience for people to just stand around and do trivia, which is... 
I think every nerd loves trivia. They love proving their copious knowledge about things. And that, to me, was, was really fun. We saw another booth that had kind of like a Oculus Rift experience where you mm-hmm. could be going through, a, a sh- I think it was for the last ship on, is it TNT? I'm not sure. But mm-hmm. yeah, there was also, um, shout out to ABC, there was a promotion for the Muppets where we got to go and kind of take this instagrammable gif with muppet characters or once upon a time yeah it was like a photo booth yeah it was just a photo booth but all these really fun little takeaways scattered throughout the convention floor and i think something that they get right about this is really pushing social media and i think that's one thing that has changed over the past 10 years in 2005 i didn't have a facebook i didn't have an instagram half these things didn't even exist but they've really embraced that, and I think that that... Just... And the fact that people just go to take pictures. We we yeah. mentioned it a little bit with the costumes, but it's taking pictures is a huge part of the experience. Yep. I didn't ask this before, but now that we're talking about all the things we saw on the floor, what were some of your favorite costumes? I think the first one that comes to mind was... I actually did some research. So every night I would go home and I would look at pictures of the costumes. So there were the ones that I saw online, which were, of course, of a different level because those were the best of the best. But the ones that I actually saw, there was this one guy dressed up as Jamie Heineman from the Mythbusters. Which seems like the weirdest choice for cosplaying because it's not really a big character. I mean, it's just a white shirt. Not that many props are involved. This guy just had a mustache and kind of looked like the guy. No, he really looked like the guy. Okay, he really looked like the guy. And so many, but I think for me, the funnest part was just seeing so many people mistake him for their real Jamie Heineman and ask to take selfies with him. It was really fun. And we actually. We went up to him, well, I went up to him, and I just said, hey, I have to ask, are you the real guy? I'm assuming not. And he was like, no, I'm not, but this has been really fun. And we had a really great conversation with him. See, the fact that he was dressed up, like I mentioned before, gave me an excuse to walk up and just talk to someone random, and he, we both had a lot of fun talking about it. Shout out to Robert from Virginia. Yeah, history (laughs) teacher from Virginia. We talked, we took pictures together. It was just, it was was a really, it felt like a great organic spontaneous experience with another fan of i mean the mythbusters is fun but it was just another comic-con fan i think a second costume that i thought was great was hodor yes this one was really creative it was clever i think that was what i liked about it hodor is a character from game of thrones who is a basically uh bran who's one of the characters in game of thrones this little boy can't walk and hodor carries him around Mm -hmm. And uh, for some reason or another, I don't know what his ailment is, but he can only say his own name, Hodor. Yeah, very Groot-like. Very very Groot-like. And he carries Bran around on his back. And I saw this guy from afar. He had a Raisin Bran box tied to his back, and he had crossed out the word raisin with a Sharpie. And it wasn't until I saw that and thought about it for a second that I realized, oh my god, this guy's Hodor and he's carrying Bran on his back. This is awesome. <laughs> so that one was just pretty clever. In terms of ones that I saw online, I saw a guy. We talked about this in our Jurassic World episode. A guy was dressed up as the double-fisting margaritas guy. You saw him? Yes, I saw multiple people dressed up as this guy. Oh my god, it was awesome. He had, he was just wearing glasses, baseball cap, couple margaritas in his hands, and he had taped a pterodactyl to his baseball cap. It was so minimal and so funny, and it... Ah, talk about a deep cut. Yeah, oh my gosh. But I saw his picture on multiple websites, and I saw it replicated, so... We also saw Left Shark. Left Shark from from the Super Bowl. Yep. That was pretty funny. And going back to our previous podcast about Inside Out, we also saw Riley's imaginary boyfriend. Oh my gosh, yes. He would die for Riley. <laughs> oh my gosh, that was really fun. We also saw a lot of people dressed up as as disgust, as yeah. sadness. There were a good few. Yeah. Our mom really loved them. <laughs> um, there was also Joy. They were really creative A lot of, yeah, just so many creative costumes. And definitely the convention floor is the place where 
where you get to see a lot of definitely. Those. And if you guys are at all interested in checking them out, look up to Comic Con 2015 costumes, and they're just massively creative. We have been rambling for long enough. I think that our one of our final segments here that we really wanted to talk about, and something I think we've kind of been doing even in creating this podcast and in talking about it at such length, is just the fact that Comic-Con is something around which there are a lot of misconceptions, a lot of myths, a lot of, I just think, condescension? Yeah. If that's the right word for it. I feel like with the passing of years, even by saying that I'm someone that's been to Comic-Con 10 years in a row, I feel like Comic-Con is something that I have to apologize for repeatedly around certain people and I think that's just because Comic-Con exists as this thing that is like oh it's a nerd prom it's a nerd convention we have friends that have gone to Comic-Con and end up loving it but then their initial reactions to it is what the heck is this they just there's definitely a huge discrepancy between the external reporting and the internal culture so, mm-hmm. uh, so sort of go into the details. What what do you mean by external reporting? So, Comic Con coverage can basically be split up into two things, and this is where I'm getting into the actual myths, myth creation, or mm-hmm. it even is just perception. External reporting to me is kind of when news outlets like KUSI or any local news stations, uh, especially in San Diego, because it's a local convention. Mm-hmm. They arrive on scene and they're looking around and you can just tell they stick out like a sore thumb. It's guys in maybe like a a Target Superman shirt or you can tell that they bought like the morning of or they're in suits with their microphones and it just seems like these people that have absolutely no idea what the appeal of Comic-Con is. They just don't get it. Because they still seem so surprised that people are dressing up and they treat them like... Like, they're so cute. Yeah. And not even cute. I think it's like, they're saying, oh, yeah, this is interesting. Wow, these are people. There was one reporter that kept saying, yeah, this is a really great place for dreamers. And he just said it in a voice that was dripping with condescension. I mean, I'm going to, I mean, I'll own up to a certain fact that Comic-Con is ultimately, it's a leisure activity. It's not a group. It's not this huge thing that's going to be life-changing and altering for everyone but this guy it just seems like people are trying so hard to justify it because they don't understand how the fun it is yeah Yeah. how the culture works so a lot of the external reporting that you'll see is treating it like this kind of cutesy weird kitsch or uh, campy kind of thing where it's like i don't understand why people are waiting 24 hours in line just to see a glimpse of this actor. Wow, this is all so ridiculous. These people don't know, don't have have so much time on their hands or whatever. And and that external reporting tends to come with a layer of judgment, mm-hmm. criticism, and just a general lack of understanding. So that's what I mean by external reporting. That sort of outsider looking in and just not understanding it. And then you get on the other side this really deep internal reporting with organizations that seem to have maybe not risen out of comic-con but definitely risen out of that nerd culture and i'm talking about people like i'm talking nerdist yeah chris hardwick's nerdist even um, people like felicia day felicia day who's very big within this culture nerd hq yeah zachary yeah zach levi has set up something that um now it has its own kind of headquarters at comic-con every year this is all internal reporting even even sites like ign where it's like video game websites or something, they'll go and do really deep internal reporting. Like, oh, this panel talked specifically about this actor and this is an anecdote from this panel. It's all very deep. And I think something that is kind of difficult for me is, or not difficult, but something that's unique to us is that we're kind of in between. I have always gone to Comic-Con feeling somewhat like an observer. Mm -hmm. As much as I'd love to be really passionately into something at comic-con a few years ago i was really into doctor who and that made it kind of more fun but as i'm getting older i feel more and more just kind of like i'm getting there and observing and really enjoying it so we're kind of in the middle right so from this somewhat objective standpoint what are some myths that you think i mean i've been 
I've spent a lot of time outlining the difference between the external reporting and this really deep internal culture. Being in the middle, what do you think are some misperceptions coming from either end of the spectrum? Yeah, I feel like that we can debunk. Based on our own experience, personally, I feel like one myth is the the sanctity of Hall H. I feel like mm. whether or not you go or get into Hall H, Hall H won't ultimately make or break your Comic-Con experience. Yeah. It's really fun to get in. But I feel like you get so overwhelmed by everything you see. A lot of times, like, for example, I forgot I saw Hugh Jackman and people like Jeremy Irons just a few hours after I'd seen them. So I feel like those are the experiences that it's cool, but they're also kind of forgettable because it's one after the other and it's so hard to take in. I agree. I would actually kind of, I don't know if I would compare Comic-Con as a whole to this, but definitely Hall H. It kind of feels like, I haven't been to Coachella, but what I hear about it, where you're seeing band after band after band, and you don't really get to enjoy it that much individually. I think if you're really, if you're that interested in it, it's kind of like watching baseball live or watching it on TV. I don't don't watch baseball, but I'm assuming that on TV you're going to get gonna get the highlights and everything and get a better view of it hall h if you're that into the actual material that's going on there and you don't want to just be in an electric crowd yeah it makes more sense to just read the coverage yeah, after there are a lot of people writing about what's there so if you get in great if not there's still a lot of really fun things to do outside hall h itself. yeah and i think this is that first point is kind of like for people that are planning on going to comic-con but what do you think about the actual like myths about buying tickets because this is something that i think a lot of people get tripped up on yeah a second little tip is we we kind of mentioned this at the top of the the podcast it's really difficult to buy tickets but it's not impossible if you put it, the effort in if I you think... put the effort in it's likely you're gonna get your tickets so all you need to do is just be mindful of your dates And make friends and sign up when you're supposed to sign up and you can probably get... There are a lot of hoops you have to jump through and I think a lot of people take that as just they throw up their hands and say, okay, then I'm not going. And if that, I mean, if you're that person, that's fine. Just go explore downtown. Yeah, that's sort of going into my second point. If you don't want to go through the hassle of getting the tickets, then there's a lot you can experience just out in the gas lamp quarter and around San Diego itself. Yep. You'll see, we eat lunch out in downtown. You'll see people in Comic-Con. Hey, you'll see people in costumes. There are going to be a tons of booths set up outside the convention center just because it's pretty, it's too small. It's yeah. bursting outside of the convention center at and this point. And for a lot of those experiences, you don't need a badge to get in. So Yeah, exactly. Now, I think these these two points are very specific to the convention itself, through the mechanics of it. I think my myths, or the the myths that I kind of want to debunk, are a little more general in nature. I think, as we mentioned before, Comic-Con is conventionally seen as... (laughs) Conventionally seen? Mm -hmm. As something specifically for nerds, something specifically for geeks, or for people that are socially awkward... Socially awkward in particular is something that a myth that I want to debunk. Hmm. This, yeah, this year was a really fun. Again, touch on this later, but I had the most fun this year talking to people. And in all honesty, I don't think I approached one person and had an awkward social experience. Maybe that's more of a testament to my driving more with this type of people, but. It's really not a band of, like, socially ostracized, awkward people. It, it it just felt like people that are really enthusiastic about anything. Like, I brought up Coachella before. I really don't see a difference between the enthusiasm that people seem to go to con- the weekend, not conventions, but weekend lineups. Like, a, yeah, mm-hmm. festivals like that. This is really just a festival for people that are excited about things. And I think even more so than something like Coachella, it's, it's not really hyped around, oh, this, we're just going to have fun and party and drink all weekend. I think it's something that's a little more wholesome. I love that it's in San Diego. It's much more of a family event. So I think uh, 
nerd convention in quotes. It's it's definitely a misnomer, and I think something that I would like to see used less frequently. I think that it's something that naturally is being used less frequently because of how Comic-Con has changed over the year. It's really not about comic books anymore. A lot of hardcore fans complain about that. They don't like that it's turned into something so corporate and commercial and advertisement-based. But at the same time, the comic stuff is there if you're It's there, yeah, and I want to say the people generally... are the same. You're still going to find people to connect with and have cool conversations with. You're still going to find people like Robert's history teachers from Virginia that you can have cool, fun conversations with. And I think that's something that just under underscoring that human interest is really important. Definitely. So a lot of people complain about it being really crowded and the lines being so long, it's so difficult to get tickets. So but commercial. I guess one of one of the questions I wanted to end this podcast on is why go? It's a good question given everything we've talked about, but for me it's not even a question. I, of course I would go and I think it's because of everything I've been talking about with terms inter, uh, with respect to the enthusiasm that you get there from individuals. In terms of, we said, with Hall H, it doesn't make or break your experience. For me, this, I, I, I called it the small year of the talk. small talk, the year of the small encounters. The most fun I had this year, honestly, probably waiting in line for Hall H, not even being in Hall H. And why was that? It was because we were in a line with a young family from Texas where it was... Two little boys coloring in a coloring book and us just chit-chatting with their parents about what they had seen at the convention center. It was talking to a British reporter that writes for a London newspaper that was just covering the event, and we were talking to him about the industry. There was a girl with a Doctor Who backpack, another girl that was telling me about recent seasons of Doctor Who that I've missed, and everyone was just talking so freely, so comfortably, and... It was. This was all within five minutes of meeting each other. Yeah. I think you don't get that. Those chance encounters. Those everywhere. chance encounters in, like, the real world, so to speak. I mean, I'm sure you can, but this just seems like a place where everyone is in the same boat and everyone is down. And everyone has such a good attitude, and they're just so happy to be there that mm-hmm. the... Energy and enthusiasm is infectious, just like it was with Quentin Tarantino, with the fans. It's it's fun to just talk to them about normal stuff. So. Yeah, I had a lot of fun even talking with artists one-on-one. They had their booths set up. I went up and I just talked to them like, hey, what program do you use? Everyone is so generous with their conversation, with their time, and just they seem so genuinely appreciative of people coming out to support them or, like, with other Comic-Con attendees, just to have someone to talk to while you're in line. It's just, it's really fun. It's a good communal experience. And I think that if you're somebody that has even a vague interest in any of the stuff that's being highlighted at Comic-Con, that in and of itself is a reason to go to see. It's definitely worth experiencing at least once. Oh, for sure. And even if you're not getting in the convention center, walking around downtown, it is probably one of the biggest celebrations, biggest collective celebrations of creativity that exists nowadays. And and San Diego Comic-Con is the biggest convention of its type i mean you have WonderCon, you have uh, comic cons Mm -hmm. in other places it is the biggest one so this is definitely the place to be if you're interested in this or just want to see happy people having fun it's just you can complain about how it's so commercial or it's this big advertising machine nowadays but it's it's just so yeah if you're if you're complaining about that i think you're concentrating on the wrong on the wrong things right because there is so much to celebrate about it yeah um, it's it's so human yeah yeah they announced that it's going to stay in san diego at least until 2018 so if you're interested, I'd say there's there's a good chance that you can try to get in, and you should. Yeah, San Diego's beautiful, so. <laughs> <laughs> sure. All right, let's wrap things up with, with our plugs. All right. 
we've mentioned it in previous episodes and throughout this one, we do have a screensaver page on Facebook where we will be posting pictures of our costumes this year. Uh, we also have a Twitter that we update. Yeah, our, our handle is at ScreensaverPod on Twitter, and you can just search Screensaver Podcast on Facebook and you'll find us. Yep, S-A-V-O-R. That's right. All right, thank you guys for listening. I think this podcast broke a record in terms of its length. So. Yep, sorry for being <laughs> long-winded. If you lasted to the end, you are a true champ. I know I've said it in previous ones, but it's... <laughs> this time we mean it. Yep, our next episode is most definitely going to be shorter than this Goliath of a pod. But Carla and I watched Ant-Man today. Yeah, we're excited to talk about that next time, so yep. stay tuned. All right. All right, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.